Isn't one of the best feelings having a good night's sleep? (laughs) Some of you are saying, check with me in about 45 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, when you wake up on your own, uninterrupted, and you feel fully rested, you just get up when you need to get up, and it's like, yeah, that was good. That kind of sleep energizes you. On the other hand, one of the worst noises is being interrupted while in a deep slumber by this. Sorry, there was no easy way to do this. Isn't that the worst? I loathe my alarm clock. It has a snooze feature. And I know that it's going to ring again, snooze, again, snooze, again. The the alarm is callous. But its job is to wake us up from our slumber. And we usually set an alarm if we have to wake up for some important reason on time, whether it's to go to work. You know, if you if you have a job and you choose to sleep in and you miss the start time, you may have a problem with keeping your job. Or if you go to school, my kids love this, right? getting up super early to catch the bus? Or how about even waking up on time for church? Right? Important things. Well, this morning we're confronted with another wake-up call. And I would contend with you it's one of the most important wake-up calls that we can have as believers in Jesus Christ. It's set within the context of the reality that we can often sleep our way through life. And sadly, we can even sleep our way through the Christian life. And if we sleep our way through life, we're going to miss the many opportunities that God gives us to be impactful, to grow in our faith, and miss the opportunity for future rewards. Being able to wake up spiritually is a spiritual discipline. It's something that we have to prepare ourselves for. It's not something that is going to happen intrinsically just on its own. This is something that the Word of God prepares us for, warns us for, cautions us, and keeps in front of us. To be aware, to be conscious, to be alert to the calling of the Christian life is part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus means that you live in such a way that your eyes are open and you are alert to the things of God. 
But here's the thing. Our passage this morning calls us to alertness, but not so that we can do a bunch of spiritual stuff. You know, check, check a bun- bunch of boxes and say, you know, in these categories, I do these things and God is pleased and it's okay. And all these wonderful blessings apply then. No, everything that is concerning the alertness that we're called to in the Christian life is wrapped up in keeping our eyes and hearts fixed upon a person. To cultivate our relationship with the Lord. And I bring that up, and we're going to talk about it in a few more minutes, but I bring that up because it, it is so easy to fall into the category of pleasing God based on our performance. That what we do and how we do it is what makes God pleased with us. And I would say that if, if that's where you are this morning, that you would just die to that kind of thinking. And if you are a recovering legalist, that you would realize and and understand afresh again that it is a terrible pursuit to try to outplease God. We are pleased by God and earn his favor already because of Jesus. Nothing else. And so when we think about being alert in that context, we need to understand that God is cautioning us to avoid the performance of the Christian life. And yet while we live for Jesus, our lives are going to flow out of that heart for Jesus. And we are going to look different. We are going to act different. We're going to think different. But it's not because of the things that we do. It's because our hearts are so caught up with heaven's king that we just want to live for him and follow him. And this is where Paul is cautioning us this morning. This is the alarm that he sets for us in the Christian life. The call to wake up this morning is all about readying ourselves to meet Jesus. It's all about that. That moment in time when we will see our Savior What a thought that everything that we have trusted in, read about, have seen lived out in others, celebrated in the context of of the community of God's people, that we will experience the reality of seeing our Savior. What lies before us in this text is the essential motivation for living out the Christian life. It's the call by Paul to urgently consider the time we are living in and to to respond in being prepared. Now, if you've ever slept through your alarm or have been rushed out the door, we have teenagers, we know what that's like. (laughs) They both just glared at me. Kids, When you're a lot older, all these messages are preserved online. (laughs) You can go back and watch them again. But if you've ever been rushed out the door, slept through your alarm, maybe you left something behind, 
Maybe you didn't have time to shower or comb your hair (laughs) or brush your teeth or whatever. You know that sleeping through the time that you are to wake up sets you back. It hinders you. It's true in the spiritual life as well. That if you're sleeping in or you're still asleep and you're not waking up to the alarms that God is setting off in your life, it's going to hinder you. God is wanting us to wake up because the day is drawing near. And so let's look at what the text says about being alert so that we can be ready to meet the Lord. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Do this, Paul says, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Do you see the alarms? Do you hear the sirens? Paul begins this thought with this phrase, this. Now, in the New American Standard, it says, do this. Now, the word do in your Bible, if you have the New American Standard, is in italics. We added that in to help us in the reading of the translation. But the the sentence begins with this. And what is this? Well, this is everything that Paul has written from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to now. And if you've been with us as we've been walking through the book of Romans, you, you understand that in Romans 12, 1, when we read, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, that that Romans 12, 1 hinge in this letter is the beginning of the practicality of walking with Jesus. For 11 chapters, it was doctrine. It was theology. It was this is the essence of our salvation. This is why God has redeemed us because we were desperately dead in our sins and yet by his grace, we are justified through Jesus. Now, as a result of that, we lay ourselves down on the altar as a living sacrifice. And from Romans 12, 1 till now, Paul has been challenging us in the Christian life of what it means to live for God that we are to take care of each other and love each other, and that we are not only to love each other in here, but we are to love out there. And last week, we talked about those summary statements that the whole law is summarized in two commands, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
It's those two commands that drive us in the Christian life. It's the life that pleases God. And as a result of those practical exhortations to take care of each other in community, Paul says, do this, all those things, for what purpose? Do this knowing the time. The time. Now, the word time here in the Greek is kairos. It's a unique word because there's another word in the Greek language for time. It's chronos. It's where we get chronology. Now, there's two different words that are translated for time, and they have two different essences of what they mean. Chronos refers to chronological calendar time, and kairos refers to the quality or kind of time. And that's what Paul wants us to be thinking about, that there is a time coming, a quality of time coming, and we need to be ready for that, and we need to understand that, and we need to respond to it. What is that quality of time? Well, the question of what kind of time is it is clued in in the rest of the verses. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. That's the quality of time. That salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. You know what that tells me? That there is something more to be coming in our salvation. And yet, here's what we can think when we hear these words written by Paul to this church in Rome. I thought I was already saved. Like, I I thought there was that point in time when I believed in Jesus and everything changed. Well, that's true. That we were at that point justified before a holy God. And yet, our salvation isn't complete. Yes, at that point, positionally, we are changed from a dead sinner into a justified, righteous saint. And yes, by God's grace, as we've read through the the letter of Romans in Romans 6 and 7, we are being sanctified, growing into the image of Jesus Christ, being conformed into his likeness. And yes, there comes a point when our salvation will be complete in our glorification, when we will be transformed and made like Jesus. Our sin nature is done away with. Let me say that again. Our sin nature is done away with. And we see God for who he is. What a thought. And that's what Paul's getting our minds to think about. The day is drawing near when our salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you can say, like for me, it's been 20 years. Well, 20 years ago, I was here in my Christian life. Now, 20 years later, I'm here in my Christian life. And if the Lord should tarry another 20, 40, 60, however long that I'm able to walk on this earth, I will be that much closer to my full glorification. 
My salvation will be more complete. It'll be, I'll be closer to that time. And Paul is getting us to think that, yes, it it is a moment where, yes, we believe. And yes, God is still working. And yes, God will complete the work. Be aware of that. Wake up to that time. Now, you might say, so what does that mean for right now? means you got to keep your eyes open you have to stay alert there's a day drawing closer it is nearer when your salvation will be complete and that final fullness is what is referred to as i said our glorification and it can take place very soon very soon let, let me say it this way i hope you're looking at me very soon And it can happen two ways. Either the Lord returns in the air for us and calls us home. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Or we breathe our last. And yesterday, Rod's dad, fully ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, breathed his last and transitioned home to be with Jesus. It's that kind of thing. Are we ready? The day's drawing near. The Lord's return is imminent. Now, verse 12 builds on this warning. When Paul writes, the night is almost gone. And the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Listen, it's a very real possibility that the Lord will return in our lifetime. It's a very real possibility that the Lord will return in our lifetime. Hallelujah. Thank you. I mean, isn't that what we long for? Expect, seek out, keep our eyes fixed upon. The writers of Scripture 2,000 years ago lived the same way. They're living with their eye on this earth. They're, they're one eye living like, okay, what's going on around me? But they're always living with another eye focused on heaven. Because they know that Jesus said, where I go, I go to prepare a place for you and I will return for you. To bring you to myself. The night is almost gone. It's almost gone. The day is near. The night is a reminder of our lives today that are plagued by spiritual darkness. You know what that's like, right? You know what it's like to live in a fallen world. It feels like we're living in darkness. Paul says the day is about to break. The day is near. It's close, drawing ever so close to us with each second that ticks. That day is the day when the Lord will come for us in the air. If you want to, you can. uh, Let's go ahead in the New Testament a little bit. Um, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is before 2 Thessalonians. It's also after uh, the book of Colossians. 
And if you're in Awana, in Truth and Training, you're learning, being reminded again of the books of the Bible, and you have to memorize the books of the Bible, and you might think, why do I ever need to learn the books of the Bible? Because one day your pastor is going to say, let's turn to this book. And you're going to be like, I don't even know where that is. Well, now you do, because you've learned the books of the Bible. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, this, these two letters that Paul writes focus a lot of our attention on what is yet to come. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, this is what we read. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God is not destined us for wrath. Remember that. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. Doesn't that sound like a fuller explanation of what we just read in Romans 13? This whole idea of being asleep and being awake and being alert and why should we be alert and what is God doing and there's a day coming. And here's what you can do on your own. This would be an important study for you. Look up in uh, a concordance. Uh, and this a concordance is, is like a, a telephone book of all the words used in the Bible. Look up the word or the phrase, the day in the New Testament. And then look it up in the Old Testament. And just, do, just look at all the Bible verses that talk about the day. And what you're going to see is a full picture of what is yet to come. Because there is a day coming. Now the day can refer to two aspects of the day. There's a day... That is our blessed hope, as Titus talks about, when the Lord Jesus Christ will return for us. Now, how do we know this? If you back up one chapter in 1 Thessalonians and go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you read this in verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And I love what he says in verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Where's the comfort? What is the comfort that Paul is saying? It's this, that Jesus Christ is returning for his people. And he's gathering them to himself. And what is the comfort involved with that? Well, it's the comfort that we get to be with him. Because there, is a, there, there are people that are going to live on this earth that will not die of natural causes. They will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But when will that happen? Well, it all focuses around this phrase, the day. And the day isn't just a 24-hour period, but the day in the New Testament focuses on a period of time 
when God will judge the world. There's a reckoning coming. And when you look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and what we just read, and you read about what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then, oh, by the way, you back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 10, when we read, let me just read verse 9. It's the beginning of the sentence. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Alertness, right? They're awake. They're not falling asleep. They're not asleep. Whom he, God, raised from the dead. That is Jesus who what? Rescues us from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? The day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The time and season that God will bring judgment upon the earth for sin and wickedness. It is the time, as we, we talked about in Romans chapter 12 a couple weeks ago, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Like, don't worry about evil for evil. Just trust that God is going to do everything in a righteous and just way. And what is that? There's a day of terribleness coming. So what should we be doing in the midst of that? Wake up. Keep your eyes open. Don't fall asleep. Don't drift off into dreamy slumberland. And hey, I know it feels good to get a good night's sleep. It's time to wake up. It's time to live as if our eyes are open and we are alert. The night, getting back to Romans 13, the night is a reference to the system of this world. The darkness of the sin that has enveloped God's creation. Listen, there is not much good that happens in the dark. There isn't. I I can't remember where I heard this but it has always stuck with me and we talk to our kids about it. There's nothing, there's not much good that happens after like 10 o'clock. You know, if, if you're up until like the wee hours of the morning gallivanting around doing whatever, it's usually not the best things because darkness kind of hides those activities. The night is almost gone. Many people find themselves sleepwalking through darkness, forgetting that the day is coming when the Lord will return. And it's time to wake up. Paul writes this to wake us up to the reality that each moment that passes is a moment closer to the Lord's imminent return. It comes, as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, as a thief in the night. Now, if you've ever been burglarized, I I hope you haven't, but if you ever have, the burglar didn't send you a warning and say, hey, I'm coming to your house at this such and such time, right? They show up unannounced, catch you off guard. That's what Paul writes about the day of the Lord. When, When people ask Jesus, Jesus, when are you returning And they asked him this in the Gospels. He responded and said, I don't even know the day, the time, or the hour. Only the Father does. There's a day coming. The question we all need to answer is, are we ready? 
I mean really ready. Are our eyes open? Listen, if you're born again and your sins are paid for and you will be with the Lord, but the question is, are you ready? What are you holding on to in this life as if Jesus won't return today, tomorrow, next week, or next year? What are the things in your life that you've convinced yourself saying, not a big deal right now, I'll work on it. Like, I'll get there. What are those things? Are you ready? Or are you still sleeping? What attitudes, habits, persistent sins are you comfortable with that grieve God's heart? Are you ready? In what ways are you sleepwalking through life, living as if Jesus will not return? Because that's really what it's about. You've convinced yourself, well, maybe in the future, but not right now. In church, everything that I read in Scripture and everything that Jesus has said and everything that the apostles point our attention to is that it's at any moment. Why? Because the day is near. The day is near, and so what do we do? We lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And I love the imagery of that, of putting off and putting on, especially tied into the idea of waking up. When it's time to wake up and start our day, we need to make ourselves look presentable. At least we should. You can't wear your PJs to church or work or school. Maybe Walmart. (laughs) But really nowhere else. Right? We look presentable. We get ready. We sometimes look in the mirror and just make sure all the hair is where it needs to be. Some of us, most of us. (laughs) The deeds of darkness are the sins that characterize the sins of this present evil age. And we are called to lay them aside. But you know what I love about that word or that phrase lay aside? Is that there's more to it than the way that we translated it. In the actual Greek language, it means to throw off. Like lay aside seems casual. It's like yeah, you know, I'm just going to put this to the side. But the actual word means to actually take it and throw it off. Now, I've picked on my kids a lot, but I cannot help but use this illustration. It's like when my son gets home from school. My son loves coming home from school and throwing on his PJs. It's like 3.30 in the afternoon, and he's wearing his PJs around the house. But what does he do? He doesn't just lay aside the clothes that he wore that day. They literally go wherever he throws them. It's like a bomb went off in his room. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you know exactly what I mean. They throw off the things that they're done with. They don't lay anything aside. But that's how we are to live in this life when it comes to the deeds of darkness, knowing the day is drawing near, that we take those things and we cast them away from ourselves. Now, here's the picture. We are to wake up because Jesus is returning. And as you are preparing for his return, you throw off all the things in your life that are not pleasing to him. And so that we are not overwhelmed again, we are to put on the armor of light. We throw off the deeds of darkness. We put on the armor of light, the armor of light. Do you see that? 
This is wartime clothing. Right? This isn't casual living. The world that we are living in, the darkness that is all around us, is not peacetime. Peacetime is coming. Peacetime comes when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But until then, we're at war with the system of this world, with the God of this age, with Satan himself. We're at war. Until the Lord returns, we need to armor up. We are called to live as alert soldiers defending ourselves from the attacks of darkness. Could you imagine what would happen to an army if they were asleep when they were being attacked? And yet that's how many of us live. And that's why 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote these words, wake up. And Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then later in Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Wake up and be ready. Now, verse 13 of Romans 13 says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Some of the practical ways we do this is to behave properly as in the day. Now, it may feel like night right now, but we are called to live in the day. Living in the day is to live in the light, in the splendor, of the presence of Jesus. To live in that way is to live in absence of sin in the destruction that it brings. Now here's where we need to be careful. And I talked about this in the beginning of my sermon, but just to bring it up again. We need to be careful that we do not turn our lives into the pursuit of behavior modification. What do I mean by that? Well, I need to stop doing this and start doing this. And we build all the categories and we read the the Bible verses that are easier to to do. And we think, okay, check, I did that, check, I did that, check, I did that. Now God is pleased. That's behavior modification. Here's the thing, though. God is not interested in our sin management. If that was what the relationship with him was based upon, then we would all terribly fail. No, God is interested in us walking with him in the light as we enjoy fellowship with the Lord. Now, I just read in verse 13, let us behave properly. And you think, and you just heard me say, God is not interested in sin management and behavior modification. So what are you talking about? Well, here's what we miss in this word behave. It is the Greek word peripateo. And the word peripateo in the Greek language means walk. It's not just about behavior modification, but it is about walking in relationship with Jesus. Walking in step with him. When Jesus saved us, he put his spirit inside of us. 
And all along the way, he invites us to seek him and to walk with him. The result is that we will change our behavior because we first love him. If you're changing your behavior without keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, then you're just trying to outsmart God and say, hey, you can do a pretty good job by yourself. And if you think that you can do a pretty good job by yourself, then why do you need Jesus in the first place? We need to die to that kind of thinking. And we need to walk closely to our Savior. And some of these things that Paul lists here are the deeds of darkness. There, there are six sins that he mentions. I can't say six and do this. I, okay, there are six sins that he mentions. They're in couplets. They're, they're paired together. Sexual promiscuity and sensuality, carousing and drunkenness, strife and jealousy. So here's the thing. I, I'm not going to do a deep dive into what all these mean. I think the words themselves do a pretty good, accurate understanding. But we need to understand understand something about the context as Paul wrote this. Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome while he was in another city in the Roman Empire, and it was the city of Corinth. And in the city of Corinth was a temple, and that temple was a pagan temple regarded for the goddess Aphrodite. And the temple in Corinth was well known throughout the world for its sensual behavior, the temple prostitutes, the carousing and drunkenness, the crazy excess of fleshly living. And every day as Paul is writing this letter, he sees what's going on in Corinth. And he knows that what's going on there is also going on in the capital of the empire in Rome. And so he says to the people in Rome that he's writing to, wake up. And as you wake up, put on the armor of light. Why? Because the day is drawing near. Throw off the deeds of darkness. What are the deeds of darkness, Paul? All the things in the flesh that you want to feed off of to make yourself feel good. The things that happen in the dark that we think we can hide. Listen. Drunkenness often often leads to sexual sin, and sexual sin often results in contention and jealousy. There's a progression here. But if you find yourself struggling with anything in these six areas, can I encourage you not just to cast them off? You know that, right? If you're struggling with any of these six things, you already full well know because God has brought you here and you're probably under some sort of conviction and that's a good thing, but I don't want you to hear, just cast it off. Cling to Jesus. Put on the armor of light. Because there's a day coming when he's going to return. And the question is, are you ready? I mean, these aren't sins that can only be applied to a world 2,000 years ago. It's all around us. I mean, I could build off of each one of these things and just show you in very specific ways that these are more like categorical things. They fit our context. It's time for us to wake up. And so we read in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts, but is a contrasting word. 
It means rather. So rather than the deeds of dark, darkness, we put on Jesus Christ. And two times in this, this passage, we are called to put on something. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same. We hide ourselves in Christ. Being clothed in Christ involves the process of becoming like him. Putting on Christ means that we make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Putting on Christ, walking with him, means we do not give in to the sinful appetites that Paul spells out in verse 13, but also clarifies in verse 14 when he says, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Make no provision. Don't make room for it. Why do we make space for things that are destroying us, not things that give us life? We need to wake up to the fact that the Lord is soon returning. And as we wake up, we have a new life that Jesus gives us so that we can avoid the deeds of darkness that only feeds our flesh's desire. Everything that Paul says here about waking up and being ready concerns itself around the idea of living a proactive life, not a reactive life. It's being proactive. It's going ahead. It's being aware that there are things in our lives that are not only distracting us, but seek to destroy us. May we say no, not ever to the deeds of darkness. Why do we say no, not ever? Because there is something far better coming. And let me just add, there is someone far better coming. If God's word is speaking to you this morning, if his spirit is prompting you, if God is saying to you, wake up then realize the alarm is going off and start your day. Don't waste your life by sleeping through it, feeding your fleshly desires. The biggest steps we take in the Christian life are decisive steps. Like we don't fall into anything when it concerns the spiritual realm. It's a decisive step. It's an action step. It's a conscious step. It's a, God, this is where I am. This is where you want me to be. I'm moving towards where you want me to be. What does that mean? Well, it means this, at least in this moment, that maybe the action step this morning is that you come forward and realize the goodness of Jesus. That you take the decisive step. And I know it's super strange and it's super awkward and you might think, everyone's going to look at me. You know what? I'll join you up here. Because I have things that I need to take a decisive step on. But we want to give this time in our service and this space to you 
to surrender the things that you need to surrender to and to wake up in the areas of life that you need to wake up to and to understand that under the shelter of the armor of light putting on Christ, there is joy and splendor. There is not fear and shame, but that Jesus loves us. Are you willing to take the step and turn off the alarm and hit your feet to the ground and start your day? Because if you do, you will find a God that will meet you. And so during our last song, if you'd just like to come up, just you and the Lord and pray, pray. If you would like uh, one of our elders or myself to pray with you, just let us know. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you. But we want to celebrate the kindness and goodness of Jesus as we take these steps. Would you pray with me?